0: I guess like Catholicism is is a way of life. You know, if you're going to appeal to anyone it's because it's a, is a kind of obvious lifestyle change yep. between Catholicism and basically everything else. So it's I don't think it's something that you can just kind of visually represent. It's not something you can just smack people with. Yeah. It's you know, it's, it's something lived, it's something that you see in people's lives. <laughs>
1: Welcome to another episode of This Catholic Life, conversations about life's ups and downs, big and small, how we deal with every situation imaginable, whatever life throws at us, but still manage to be sensible, practical and joyful. Today's show is Why Be Catholic? A conversation about why would you want to be Catholic in this day and age? I'm joined today by Beth and Ben. Welcome. G'day, Pete. Um, and it's probably good to be talking to two young people about this because the accusation against Catholics is often, well, it's an age-old thing and, and it's no, not appealing at all to the younger generation. Let's have a response from that one. Is it appealing to the younger generation? You go first, Beth.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, I'm not going to lie. I grew up in a parish where I think the average age was something like 19. Right. Uh, it's flourishing. It's huge. It's big. So I, grew, I was really lucky to grow up in an environment where the Catholic faith was fun and exciting, where all my friends were involved in it. Where it was not cool not to go to church. <laughs> 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 little sheltered homeschoolers have got to got to find something cool, I guess. <laughs> no, so um, like the Catholic the Catholic faith was huge for me, right. and I like n- now that I'm older, um, and I've you know been in the world a little bit longer. I still see the appeal. Um, it's I guess it's why I've stayed. I don't know what I'm saying. Can I start <laughs> right. all of this again. <laughs>
1: no, that was good. That was good. So, what about you, Ben? It's not appealing at all,
2: right? Um, it's bigger than that. It's not about necessarily the appeal. I mean, like when when I was outside the church, looking in at it, or I'd come for Christmas Eve mass, whatever it is, not very appealing, <laughs> you know. Right. It's I mean, from the outside, it's a bunch of rules and restrictions and all of this.
1: Yeah. Um, there's a deeper understanding there that makes it more than appealing. Right. Because um, yeah, appealing is a kind of a weird word. Isn't yeah. It? It's like it's a word you'd use about chicken crimpies or something like that. See, now they're appealing. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> but you know, appeal to me makes it seem like, should we be appealing to people? Are we just trying to grab them? Are we attention seeking or are we
1: going for more than that? Are we offering more than that? It's a good question. Um, I think I've mentioned before on the podcast that when I was a, a pastor of a Lutheran church, the question came up, Uh, about how do we get people in the door. And I jokingly said, well, it's easy to get people in the door. All we have to do is put up a sign, free beer. The the point of me asking the question or making the comment was, this is not the way to get people in the door because this is Mm. not honest Mm. because we should be honest about what we're doing. But I was a bit scared because the people around the table when we're having that discussion actually thought about that quite seriously <laughs> well, where are we gonna get the beer no no I don't want you to get
2: beer. <laughs> from a, a quite literal sense do we have do we actually have any problems getting people in the door I mean like there's always people walking through St Mary's Cathedral right um mm-hmm. every year years three four and six students come in at least once or twice to do a reconciliation or a confirmation or communion we get people in the church mm. it's getting them to stay
1: yeah it's getting and also the reasons why they're there and, and often the impact of them being in the church is often related to whether they've been prepared properly for mm. being there and whether they understand what's going on there and then whether there's follow-up because yes. mm. I hear from RCIA people that they really love being in the community of the RCIA coming in. And then when they get done with RCIA, there's a kind of a, a problem with the follow-on and it, mm. Oh, I miss the weekly meetings. I miss the community that I had. Where is it in the church? So there's that appeal as well, but I, the truth should be appealing at some level though, surely.
0: I guess like, Catholicism is, is a way of life. You know, if you're going to appeal to anyone, it's because it's a, it's a kind of obvious lifestyle change yep. between Catholicism and basically everything else. So it's, I don't think it's something that you can just kind of visually represent. It's not something you can just smack people with. Yeah, It's, you it's, know, it's something lived. It's something that you see in people's lives.
1: And the effect of living it actually has a very positive effect too. And it's, it's interesting. When I was in Victoria, the fastest growing religion was um, Mormonism at the time. And I looked into it. How are they doing well back then? And the the reason seemed to be that they presented such a stark alternative to life as normal. So they would, they would show up to someone's house and someone's in a broken relationship mm-hmm. or a struggling relationship or no relationship and they can't find anyone. They're, they're struggling in their work and, and mortgages, et cetera. And the Mormons showed up well-dressed, always in pairs, presenting a good, wholesome view of the world. Uh, we'll we'll provide you with a house. Uh, don't have a wife? We'll get you one of those. You know, <laughs> they basically handed you a life on a platter and a community that went with it and a support structure where they actually do practically support the people. Mm-hmm. And when when I, the only reason I got brought into these situations is that their relatives said, "Come and talk this person out of Mormonism," and you'd get there and you realise none of the reasons that I could tell them are going to bring them back because they'd been enticed by a very pragmatic benefit of the, of the life. But that exists in Catholicism, if we live it.
0: Absolutely it does. And I think at least a problem I've seen uh, in recent times is that Catholics and are very kind of apologetic or try too much to reconcile what they think or what they believe with the modern world. It's like, you know, trying to find a synthesis of ideas between Catholicism and everything else. And like, if you believe it, just unapologetically believe it. Mm. Like you're here because you think that your way of life is better than anything else that anyone else has to offer.
1: Well, that's, that's surely that's the reason everybody's in a, in a faith, mm. ideally, because they believe it's actually the best description of reality, that it's the best version of me. I think going back to what you said about the truth being
2: appealing, that, um, the seeking the truth is not necessarily related to a religion for somebody who's living a secular life. That's not the first stop. It's not sort of, all right, well, I need to know about the universe and everything. There's a church over there. There's, (laughs) you know, there's a (laughs) very long, long gap between those two things. So I think coming back to what Beth said, yes, if you believe it, unapologetically believe it, but we need to understand that there's a long way between Mm. wanting to believe something or wanting to understand something and believing it.
1: It's funny. I've been reading through the Dyson um, document, "Go Make Disciples." This massive document. It's really for Christians on how to be better at attracting people. Lots of different things in there about being attractive. Why do people go to St Mary's um, in the city? It's beautiful. Um, hmm. It's also got a community there. You've got active worship. It's wonderful experience going there. Um, it doesn't. T- we don't tend to get the same touristy numbers coming through places that look like a warehouse or that are dowdy, right? So, making an effort does pay off to some extent. Having beautiful liturgy pays off. We know some people go places because it feels like a church mm. and, and they get a, a sense of, oh, yeah, this is what religion should be like. And most people, when they're not going to church, if you ask them, would you come if it was more tri- trendy and, and up-to-date, they mostly no, if I go to church, I want it to be church. Mm. The question is they just don't want church. And one of the things that I noticed is that it all comes down to uh, whether you've got something to bring them to. So they might come and look at something pretty. They might come and listen to something nice. They might even want to be in touch with God in some way. But to bring them in and keep them in, there has to be some sort of community which actually lives what they're talking about. Hmm. Otherwise, if, if we're not living it, you can preach it as much as we like. If it's not happening in the, in the pews, it's not going to work. See, that, I think that's the problem right there is
2: actually living it. I don't really know um, that we know what that
1: means. <laughs> like well, I mean, Beth described a situation which has kept her in the church, which was very much everyone was around and it was the place to be. It, mm-hmm. it was uh, an affirming community. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but that's, that's a solid thing that even when you have various ups and downs in life, you keep coming back to yeah. that affirming community.
0: Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's a constant.
1: It's not a uniquely um, Catholic thing, though, is it? Uh, well, I mean, community, no. You can have it in a Rotary Club.
0: Yes,
2: exactly. So, yeah, the community side's great. Um. But is it what's going to make you Catholic or make you want to stay
1: Catholic? It depends on what the community is based around, though. I mean, I was in a cricket club, which was very, very strong. And it was very much like, I mean, I was asked to be the best man of one of the other bowlers in the club. You know, it was really, really strong relationships. But as soon as we weren't playing cricket, the relationship didn't exist. Yeah. And Christianity is about life. It's about the whole of our life and our relationship centered around God, which is something that doesn't go away and it doesn't fluctuate with, Ideally, the, yeah. with the summer sports. <laughs> so, <you know? laughs> Ideally. And it means that whatever happens in our life, there's still this central unifying factor of a life we're, trying, we're supposed to be sharing in common and that we're working towards mm. a common goal. Well,
0: I guess the, the central thing is the gospel.
1: Mm. But what is the gospel? I mean, we, <laughs> we talk about the gospel. What is it?
0: What you hear on Sunday, you know, are things you apply to your to your life, you know, the things that get you through your 40 hour work week, through your relationships with your family and your Catholic and non Catholic friends. You know, it's, it's, I think it's, it's not just the liturgy and how beautiful the liturgy, but the words of the liturgy are yep. what carry you through. Uh, and you can also, live what out the liturgy does to you. Oh, of course.
1: Because forgiveness, life, salvation, these aren't small things. Even if, even if I go to a place where the music isn't up to scratch or, or, you know, it's a, people doing their best in a lo- like a lowly place out in the country somewhere or even in the city. Um, it's still God's grace, which takes me through the, and you've talked about getting through the week. It's even mm-hmm. more than that. It transforming the week. I think it, mm-hmm. as in, I hate to think who Peter Holmes would be if he wasn't a Catholic, because it makes me a better person. It, it challenges me and empowers me to be a better person. and, that's pretty much, I mean, that's the, probably the evidence I'm looking for. Not. I'm certainly not perfect. There's absolutely no way. That's what the confessional's there for. I've worn out the door hinges on that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, but it, it, I know me and I know what the faith and trying to live it has done for me and that's improved me. So mm. it's a, I'd say I recommend it on that basis. <laughs>
0: <laughs> on a slightly different but related note i guess i think another thing that maybe catholicism has to offer which not many other places do uh and which what kind of sets people's life up beautifully and differently is an emphasis on silence and contemplation Very good. and the fact that community is great fantastic it's not the be all and end all if it was then saints wouldn't You know, people wouldn't flee to the desert to live an ascetic lifestyle. You know, that would be counterintuitive to everything that we hold sacred. Can Um, I
2: ask, though, and like, so we're sort of selling Catholics to Catholics already at the moment. Okay. (laughs) If we go back a bit, like, Pete, for you 20 years ago, why make the switch? What was it from the outside when you're looking at Catholicism? Mm. Why
1: go, yes, i you know, maybe to... There's an Anglican guy who became a Catholic and someone asked him why. And he said, because I finally realized I wasn't. Um, mm-hmm. Now, let me explain that. A Christian is someone who sees Christ as God, the Son of God, and who who believes that following Christ is the life that brings us to eternity, to, to the best us, and to be with God forever, Right. So a follower of Christ is a definition of being a Christian. If you don't believe you are in the church that Christ founded, what are you doing there? <laughs> if you're not in the church that Christ said, here, you know this is where you should be to be with me, what are you doing? Now, all along I believed I was in that um, place, I, and, but I had a different definition of what that meant. And it wasn't until I realized, the story is actually for another time, but the, the moment of realization, oh heck, I'm not in it. And so, when I realised I wasn't where Christ wanted me to be, I had to be there. Right. And so that's. But for me, I had spoken. I mean, I'd obviously spoken to the Catholics are twenty five percent of Australia, so I'd spoken to many Catholics. But I'd only spoken <laughs> to three Catholics about becoming like right. being Catholic or the differences and all that sort of thing. I'd been to some Catholic masses. I used to sit um, Monday mornings in adoration in the Catholic church, huh. um, as a just to because Lutherans believe in the real presence and and just adoring our Lord. But I hadn't spoken to any. And in fact, the first two I spoke to told me not to do it. They said, no, your church is much better. You've got better liturgy, better hymns, stay where you are. It's a real real mess over here. And um, finally, I spoke to someone who was an ex-Anglican and became Catholic. And he said, when you're ready, give me a call. And I did when I was ready. And he put me on to some others. And the Catholics were very reluctant to receive me. So I had... And some people say that's the best way to be Catholic, talk to as few as possible. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, I mean, it's usually an extraordinary person though, isn't it, that, that you end mm. up? Yeah, all extraordinary
2: people over, for me, it was a number of people over a series of um, occurrences over yeah. a, a long time. So I wasn't, I didn't realize what I was looking for when I came back to being Catholic. Right. I stopped when I was 17, like a lot of people, came back uh, 25 I wanted answers about what I was doing. Why was I waking up in the morning? What was the point? Why am I getting up to go to work, to do this, to do, just to go to bed again and then wake up? What's the point of it all? Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that it was, it was Jesus that I was looking for. I wasn't looking to get closer to him. I I wouldn't say I ever stopped believing in God, but I was of the opinion that he didn't really care about me and Mm. he just sort of set us up and left, um, was sort of where I was at. Mm. Even when I did start coming back to church. I still wasn't there. right? So I was finding something I couldn't quite articulate at the time. But it was a series of, of run-ins with people. And I'm incredibly lucky to have um, you know, Bishop Umbers, uh, some of the, the priests around here that I've come into contact with through work yep. be those people, which not everyone's going
1: to get. But those encounters tend to shape the journey. I, I often see people wander into a church with that vague kind mm. of I'm looking for something, and the encounter they have can, in fact determine whether they keep wandering in and and whether they come back looking for yeah. something. And this is what I was talking about with extraordinary interactions with people. Well, yeah, and i I think I said this on
2: the last podcast we did about young people, but my first experience back was rubbish. I hated it. It was right. a, a weekday mass rush through, no homily. it was I was sitting in the back that changed all the prayers. what the hell's going on? I'm not doing mm. this again. Um then I went off and explored a few. Protestant churches and then went, this isn't for me. (laughs) Um, and then got talking to my dad. He was the first person to, he'd always been Catholic had, as far as I know, never had any period of doubt or anything. Um, and so I started going back with my family and the liturgy was still kind of rubbish and I still didn't really enjoy it, but I went because something was, was telling me to keep coming. Sure. Um, and then it was the, you know, it was, so first it was dad and then it was encountering Father so-and-so, and and then this person, that person, all the way through. So it is the people that kept bringing me back, but I'm not sure that it was the the liturgy or the um, Mm. how nice everything is, um, you know, all we were talking about before. Mm. And it wasn't necessarily the community because at the time I was was living in Newcastle, but coming down to go to Mass here. So I was seeing people at Mass and then leaving. So, you know, like, there's a lot there, but I think the reasons that someone might become Catholic are possibly quite hard for Catholics to understand. Right. Particularly cradle Catholics who have always who have always been there.
1: Because they're involved in it and it's part of their the it's cultural. Like, yeah,
2: Catholic so it's cultural. like the story of the, the fish swimming around the ocean um, and he keeps hearing fish talk about the ocean. He's like, what's the ocean? Where's the ocean? <laughs> you know, like, it's there's something there and they just don't know because they've always been in it.
1: Have you found, Ben, maybe i um just playing a little bit of cradle versus um, converts here, but <laughs> <Hey>. um, <laughs> I, when I became a Catholic, it, it, it was an alienating experience to wander into cradle Catholic conversations because they would drop references all the time, which I didn't understand. Mm. They would talk about certain practices, and then you'd feel like an idiot if you because you, you they go, "What you've never heard of this? Can't believe you got into the church without <laughs> hearing about this," and it was it was very alienating because. I, I probably knew more theology than most Catholics coming into the church. I'd, I'd read the entire Catechism and uh, Trent and the Lutheran mm. response to Trent and Vatican II before I'd be considered becoming Catholic.
2: So, yeah, I never did any of that. Right. <laughs> <Never> that <really. laughs> I was lucky enough um, to be a reconvert, so there was enough uh, familiarity there that I didn't feel entirely out of place. Sure. There was a lot that had happened in that in that time and a lot of stuff I'd forgotten and words that I had heard but didn't understand the meaning of. But I also found out that a lot of those people couldn't answer my questions. Right.
1: I had lots and lots and lots of questions. That's because... not an unusual experience across all sorts of churches, No, though. no, yeah.
2: of course not. But it was, um, for me, it was a... Or like I was, I'm a very reluctant Catholic. Right. <laughs> you know, like there was something drawing in and the answers kept making sense, even though I didn't want them to.
1: That was my experience, by the way. Yep. I didn't, G.K. Chesterton is a convert and he actually said, I didn't want to be a Catholic any more than I wanted to be a cannibal. Yep. Which <laughs> it <laughs> is, and it and is, it's quite a, it's quite a. A confronting thing because um, the ABC of, of my experience in Protestantism was anything but Catholic. In fact, mm. I had someone ring me up, and uh, a Lutheran minister ring me up when I decided to resign and go to, to become a Catholic. He said, can you please, I get that you don't like Lutheranism, but can you consider the Orthodox anyone but Catholic? <laughs> it's a kind of a conf- confronting idea that the Pope is the Pope. Because Mm -hmm. it it means it's more than just a personal choice now. It's actually submitting to his authority And that's the thing. And there's a series of um, markers along
2: the way. So the first one is, you know, all right, I'm accepting that there is a God. I haven't Mm. determined which one or which ones or anything. But none of this makes sense if there's not a God. Okay. Now I have to look at the next part. If God's real, is there a religion here that makes sense? And you go and and then and then and then. Then you start to get to it. All right, well. Okay, so I believe in Jesus. Yep, means I have to believe in what Jesus said. I don't always like what Jesus said, (laughs) but I have to. But he said it, and if I believe in him, then I believe what he said, and then that means I have to believe
1: in the Pope. And now there's this and that, on and on and on and on. And then at some stage, we've got to name the elephant in the room and say Catholics behaving badly, because when you get to a certain stage and you're kind of looking for, all right, how does this work? How does this? What does this look like? And then you see people with a Catholic label on them uh, in the news, constantly they're thrown at us and, <clears throat> and all sorts of different ways they're, they're putting it in our face. And even, you don't have to go very far in any community. No. And including myself in, on various occasions, have, we brought the faith into disrepute in some way. And I, I'm not confessing to anything huge here. Just being grumpy can be enough. If someone walks in the door and you're grumpy to them, that's enough. It can hurt people enough. I know of several people who've gone away from the faith for 20 years because um, they were they approached with a very, very sensitive question and they were given a dismissive answer, and it just hurts so much. And
2: that can, be a, um, that can be one of the problems for cradle Catholics, I think, that I've encountered is that because it makes sense to them and because they've had such a, a deep hmm. um, relationship with whatever the, the area might be, yep. they give you an answer that for them is enough. Yeah. Like this, why do you need more? And you're yeah. Going, an assumption, yeah. And you're sitting there going, nah, that's
1: not doing it. I need more. There's almost a different language at stake. Like I used to joke when we've had Mark Shea on the program a couple of times. When he came to Australia, we had a long conversation and we joked about the fact we speak two languages, Protestant and Catholic. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and you, there's certain assumptions, there's certain language which you use. When you say salvation, it means something slightly different. Important differences, in mm-hmm. fact. And when you talk about forgiveness, there's a big difference there. Mm-hmm. When you talk about liturgy and worship, and all these words have slightly different definitions. And when I've seen my Protestant friends and Catholic friends talk to each other, they're saying the same words, but they don't mean the same things. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a quite a difficult kind of a, a con- conversation to mediate because everyone thinks they understand, they don't. Uh, it's funny you mention that,
2: Pete, because actually our producer Mike, um, who's Anglican, don't think you'll mind me saying. Um, <laughs> he's pointed this out to me before that often there's differences in the language where sometimes the meaning's the same, but we talk about it differently. So he's had um, conversations with people, and in me, it happened with us as well, where we're both talking about the Eucharist and the real presence in the same way but using slightly different language, and it's just a language thing, but it gets us, we're both going, no, no, but we think this is like, no, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. You, you sort of, we went back and forth with it before we realized yeah. it's just the words. Mm.
0: the it, words You're
1: stuff. right. It does work the other way, that sometimes we think we disagree, but we actually don't. Exactly. So, yeah. for for example, when I'm um, often challenged in class, in my classes I have people from all kinds of religions, but evangelicals are the most feisty usually. I mean, the, the Baha'i and the, the Muslims and the and atheists aren't, they're usually quite respectful of the fact I'm a Catholic, teaching right. Catholic <laughs> scripture, <laughs> But the evangelicals have a go, and they often have a go on things like purgatory. And then when we actually look at the scriptures, we find out that we just use different language to describe the same thing. Yeah. So it's not actually a difference. It's, it's basically a, a kind of a—there's some popular piety built around the Catholic view of purgatory, which they're not happy with. But the actual doctrines of them yeah. are, are quite mm-hmm. acceptable. I want to pick a beef before we finish on the word convert because it's often—and I have to use it sometimes about myself because that's the way people identify someone who's become a Catholic. But convert implies that you've changed faith, whereas mm-hmm. often, like in in Ben's case, he's sort of, what would you say, lapsed? Is that a fair comment? Um, or reverted or something? Yeah, I'd, I'd actually say with that
2: definition, I probably am a convert. Right. That probably did make a... There was a difference, and I wasn't just a lapsed Catholic. I was okay. actively not Catholic. But there's
1: still but, there's still a kind of residual
2: cultural yes, background there, yeah, right? So it's still hmm. there's still the cradle of Catholicism in there that's I've come back to.
1: But know. I haven't changed religion in my life. Mm-hmm. I was brought up a Brethren, spent some time in the Pentecostals, went to Lutherans for 13 years or so, then became a Catholic. I'm not really a convert because even though life and and worship and everything changed. I still believe in the same God. I still read the same Bible, mostly.
0: More or less, yeah. <laughs> some extra well, books as the Catholic. Mess, really. <laughs> I, I
1: still pray in the same way. And one of the biggest moments for me was to realize 90% of what I'd learned and loved and taught and prayed was still very Catholic. It was still part of the Christian faith. And problems I've had with some cradle Catholics is when they'll reject something because it's Protestant and my answer has almost always been, where do you think they got it from? Things that, that? Yeah,
0: there's
2: going to be some things that they didn't get from, well, from Catholics. So so.
1: Beth's asked about its examples. Some prayers, which are quite simple, mm. uh, little things. Hymns, um, some of them actually have Protestant theology in them, which is slightly challenging to Catholics, mm-hmm. but some of them are quite good. And quite feisty and, and rousing and, and just happen to have been written by Protestants. Practices like reading Bibles or Bible studies. This is the big one at the moment. I'm really keen on getting Bible studies started around more in Catholic communities and gathering Catholics around the Bible. And it's still an alien thing mm. for, for Catholics. It's mm. still something that they don't like getting involved in. And they feel like, oh, is this okay? We, we need a priest <laughs> here to make sure it's okay. You know, make sure we're not going off the off the path kind of thing. Which
2: is is... True, but the more priests I meet and the more parishes I go to, I realize they've all got different, Mm. slightly different interpretations too, and there's different ways of...
1: Well, I mean, they've certainly had a theology education, Mm. but um, they're not necessarily the most educated person in the room. It used to be that priests were, in fact, the most educated person in town. They're not anymore, necessarily. And they're not always taught um, how to communicate the Scriptures um, in the best possible way. There are some which are standouts and I think we would know them here in Sydney and perhaps we frequent those particular parishes. <laughs> but I'm just saying, in general, you can't say as a rule that priests are the best leaders of a Bible study. There, it does need to be. Catholics do it differently. It does need to be a connection with, the, with the, what's come before us and we, we're not making up a new religion every time we pick up the Bible. But um, there's a certain kind of um, fear of doing stuff that looks a bit Protestant, like small groups and and um, Bible studies and what's some other examples. I mean, there's some things I don't like, like the praise and worship stuff, um, but that's a personal taste thing. Sure. It just makes me want to throw up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, I had a really, really bad experience with um, the Charismatics. So. I,
2: one of the Protestant churches that I was exploring on mm-hmm. my way back was a, a praise and worship. One and I sort of stood there, and that's it was during one of those. And the the song was lovely, and the singers are great. And I went, "It's not for me. Mm. It's just not." Yeah, (laughs) my
1: objection to it is nothing to do with uh, like doctrine or anything. Mm. It's it's got well, some of the songs I have, but but in terms of the actual style, it's just a personal thing. But I know many good Catholics who are in Catholic Charismatic Renewal and other things like that who have sing these kinds of things and have a lively, joyful, and Christ centered faith. Great, fantastic. One of the beauties of the Catholic Church is there's so many different ways to be Catholic.
0: It's not called universal for nothing. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah.
1: All right. Well, then maybe the reason then for being Catholic is because it, it is the way for all of us to become closer to Christ. That has to be the, the center of it, surely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you think, uh, yeah. You think oh, perhaps Dennis Buddha should be satisfied. in this? No. <laughs> no.
2: Look, you're right. But as I said before, I'm a bit of a reluctant Catholic. Mm-hmm. And I'd I'd say I kind of still am, right? Even though I've been, you know, back for nearly two years, right? But that being back has been a, as I was talking about before, a a series of moments where I I can't go back. Yeah, sort of thing. So you know, Mm. God's real,
1: Jesus real, Hmm. Catholic Church, Pope, all the rest of it. So, but that's taken people in your life to be patient and positive and helpful and all those things, and and it is undoubtedly
2: bringing me closer to God mm. and, and to Christ. But my reason for being Catholic for the majority of that, it's true, mm-hmm. whether I like it or not. <laughs> so even when I didn't quite know Jesus and I didn't quite know God, sure, um, I annoyingly, uh, to my disappointment, couldn't deny it anymore. Yeah. And it meant I
1: had something to do on Sunday. So. That's my experience that I tried yeah. to um, <laughs> prove the Catholics wrong. And I set out to do so via scripture and ended up a Catholic. So, warning to all those out there. Not the, not the <laughs> only person who's done that. So, Beth... There a are fo- these things... Oh, oh, sorry, sorry, go ahead.
0: I was going to say, there are these things in uh, in the world called transcendentals. And I don't have to explain to Pete, seeing as he's a theology lecturer, but for those out there who might not know, or Ben, sorry. <laughs> I mean, I know things too. I know, it's
2: because it's a big word, you know.
0: <laughs> I don't know if you can read above three syllables. Oh, um, seven?
2: Oh. No, it's fair. Seven letters is about my max. Yeah.
0: So. <laughs> you struggle with my name sometimes. Anyway, uh, there's these these things out there which are uh, called truth, beauty, and goodness. And I've noticed that a lot of times the reason that people enter the church or stay in the church is because predominantly one of those three things. Um, and it will be one of those three things that really kind of pushes you through life. For It sounds like for the both of you, that's truth. Mm. It's the pursuit of truth. For a lot of others, it's because the Catholic life is one of goodness. You know, it's one that puts neighbor above self. It's one that, mm. you know, exalts the lowly and, and, and so on. And for others, it's the, the beauty of liturgy. It's the beauty of prayer. It's the reason that the monastic life exists. you know. And all three together are harmonious and beautiful.
1: Mm. They have um, to go together, though.
0: They have to go together. And everyone possesses all of them, but to various extents. Mm.
1: Um, you're right. One of them often attracts us more than others, yeah. but they can't just be the only thing that drives us. So Matt Tan's got an excellent article in the Catholic Weekly this week about a sort of a new form of Gnosticism, where people who are attracted to the truth of the church make it all about truth and leave the others out, mm-hmm. and it becomes just about knowledge, like super knowledge. Mm-hmm. I have to know all the doctrines, otherwise I'm on the outer. And that becomes a dangerous thing in itself. Or if we focus just on the beauty and just on those forms, then we end up missing out on the whole faith. One thing can draw us in, the whole lot's got to be there to keep yeah. us. Yeah. Yeah. All right, that's probably it for this week's podcast if today's discussion got you thinking or arguing i hope so with your podcast device let us know you can drop us a line at all of the social medias facebook instagram twitter and discord and you can find our links in the show notes write us a review and remember this is uniquely australian catholic podcast we think that's worth getting behind we'll be back next week but that's all for now thanks for listening to this catholic life